Welcome to the Life Christian Church Podcast, where our mission is to inspire people to the life God dreams for them as we spread His love in ever-widening circles. My name is Christian Smith. I'm one of our online campus pastors at the Life Christian Church, and it's so great uh, to be here in person at our West Orange campus. I miss being with you all online. I'm typically online uh, and leave the campus from online because I'm currently living in London and studying there right now. However, for the past few weeks, I've been able to be here uh, to share a couple of messages with you over these past few weeks because our lead pastor, Terry Smith, is on a sabbatical right now, much needed sabbatical. So please continue to keep him in your prayers and my mom in your prayers as well. And if you don't know, Pastor Terry's also my dad, which is why we're also praying for my mom and my dad to be away. My mom and the lead pastor aren't, well, they are off, but not in that kind of whatever. All right. Great to be with all of you today and to share the third message in our series that we've recently started called Heaven on Earth, a Cosmic Renewal, where we've talked about what heaven is, what heaven isn't, and why it matters for your life in our world today. We've been talking about how heaven is not some place we go to at the end of time, but a place that comes here. I'm going to give a quick little recap of what we've been talking about, uh, just so we can get our minds in the right frame of reference, and maybe you weren't here and and haven't heard the messages, that's completely fine. You can go back and watch them on YouTube if you would like, just search Life Christian Church, you can find those there, Uh, but you don't need to have heard those to track with what we're going to be talking about today, so don't worry about that. We've been talking about how heaven is not some place we go to at the end of time, but a place that comes here. Heaven is a currently existing spiritual dimension in which God fully rules. Heaven used to be on earth in the Garden of Eden, but humans rejected their relationship with God and were kicked out of Eden, the heaven on earth place. And the Christian story is largely about how God is bringing heaven back to earth which will result in the cosmic renewal of all things at the end of time. And God will make all things into what they are supposed to be. He will mend the brokenness of the world and make all things right. The story of Christianity is not how we get to heaven when we die. Now, God did dwell on earth in special ways throughout history such as through the tabernacle and the temple. But the goal was always for God's special dwelling presence to cover the face of the earth. The goal for humanity was not to exist as spiritual bodies with God in a spiritual realm, but was for God to dwell on earth with us in his good creation, living good lives, doing meaningful things as embodied beings in a physical, spiritual combination of a world and space. As Habakkuk 2.14 says, for the earth, and this is a prophecy of what will take place at the end of times, that's what this is talking about, says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. The earth will be filled with knowledge of the glory because there's the presence of God over the earth as the water covers the sea. It's not that we will experience God's glory in heaven. It's that God's glorious presence will be here and cover the earth. One of Jesus's main messages 
if not his main message, and many people and biblical scholars and theologians would say that Jesus was, was primarily an apocalyptic prophet, meaning he was declaring something about the end of time that was taking place. And so possibly his main message was that the kingdom of God, which is the same thing as saying the kingdom of heaven, those are essentially synonymous, that the, the kingdom of heaven, heaven, this thing that we think about far off, distant, into the future when we, that we die and we go to, that heaven was at hand today in him and what he was doing, that something special was happening in Jesus's work that was bringing heaven to bear in the here and now. Jesus in the future is going to come back and establish his kingdom fully on earth. Jesus, through his work on the cross, brought heaven in part today, but will bring it fully in eternity. Redemption started in a new way through the work of Jesus, but will happen fully at the end of time when he comes back. And at that point, in some sort of way, the heavens and the earth will come together and earth will experience this cosmic renewal. That is God's project that he was working on. And in that sort of uh, cosmic renewed space, we're going to live in resurrected bodies that have a physical dimension to it, which sounds crazy. If you ever watch The Walking Dead, hopefully it's not like that, but who knows? We're gonna live in resurrected bodies and we read about this in 1 Corinthians 15, 12. Now, if, and this is just a small little snippet just so you can get a taste of this because we have talked about this some recently. This is the Apostle Paul talking to people who don't believe that the dead can be raised. And he says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, which is the central point of the Christian story and narrative is that Jesus died and then he rose from the dead in a physical body. He went around and ate things, all that kind of stuff. If Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? So he's saying, Christ was raised from the dead. This is a type, a, a, a sign of what is supposed to happen at the end of time in which all who have passed, who are followers of Jesus, are, are, are all, all people will raise from the dead and then those who follow Jesus will experience eternal life with him on this renewed, in this renewed cosmic reality. But right now, we're in this in-between phase. Jesus came to the world, and through his uh, 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 death, he brought heaven, but he did not bring it fully yet, and he will come back and defeat evil and sin and death, which are the powers that hold our world locked into the brokenness that we all naturally experience. The evil, the injustice, the pain, our own evil, our messed up thoughts, the terrible things that we do. Jesus is remedying those things, and at the end of time, will do away with all those and bring heaven fully here. He will make a new creation and we will be new creations within that new creation. Is everybody tracking? All right, sweet. Okay. Now, what this helps us realize is that heaven is different than we often suspect. I'm guessing some of this is different than, than how we've thought about heaven. And it realizes first, as we said, heaven isn't a place we go to when we die Though, some, though we, uh, some people like to talk about that as paradise in the intermittent phase, right? Because like, what if I die now? And what's going to happen to me and before Jesus comes back? Like, where am I going? What am I doing? Well, some people like to say that there's a, a place called paradise because Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise to the thief on the cross who's next to him who puts his faith in him. So there is some sense in which we go to the place of God, but that's not our final resting place. As I had a professor once say to me, uh, or to our class she was teaching, and she was like, heaven in the sense of if I were to pass away right now, please don't, if I were to pass away right now, in some way I would go live with God in this sort of special spiritual domain and space, but that is not my final resting place. 
because my final resting place is as a creation living on the renewed earth as God originally intended. And that being in heaven temporarily before Jesus comes back and renews all things in that temporary phase, it's, it's almost like being on vacation. And I don't know if you guys ever feel, ever feel like this, but if you're on vacation for like two or three weeks or something like that, uh, for, for a lot of people, there's, there, becomes, there, there comes a sense of unsettledness at some point because there's still work to do. There, there's something more to do than just, just sit on a beach and read, which that's a very hard thing for me to say because sitting on a beach and reading sounds like heaven to me. But there's things to do. There, there's, there's a whole life to live. There's relationships to engage in. There's, there's meaningful work to do and joys to experience. Vacation is great, but it's not the final thing that you're supposed to be doing with all of your life. And that this temporary paradise in heaven before Jesus comes back and makes all things new is this sort of vacation kind of thing that is a temporary, beautiful thing in which you are with God, but it's not the final resting place for us. God is bringing something new. Second, this narrative helps us realize that full renewal is supposed uh, to come to this world. It's a holistic renewal. It's not just our souls that are being saved in the way we typically mean it as some sort of spiritual part of us that's being saved, but all of creation that is being saved from its groaning. And we can look to Romans 8, 19 through 20, 21 to read about this. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. All of creation not just the soulish part. All of creation is groaning in expectation for the children of God to be revealed so that we can live all together, creation and us as the pinnacle of God's creation, together, renewed, eternally. So we're talking about this kingdom of heaven coming to earth. And last week we discussed how there are two different ways that we typically think about the kingdom of heaven coming to us. And one of those ways is an internal sense. And one, the other way is an external sense of the kingdom of God coming. Sometimes we emphasize the idea of the kingdom of heaven, you know, like takes its place in my heart. And then we expect some like personal renewal. We expect maybe to start thinking in different ways, uh, these special sort of things to happen inside of us, but we don't think about it coming in external ways throughout the world. And then you have this idea of only an external sense of the kingdom of God coming where we expect social realities and things like that to change, uh, but we don't necessarily expect anything to happen within us. We don't expect maybe personal holiness or for who we are to actually adjust. We want to stay the same while God changes the things around us in the circumstances. Well, in reality, God is both affecting change and renewal in all of his creation, because all of creation is groaning in expectation, and we are also part of that creation who have to change. And today we're going to be talking about how God affects renewal within us, how we can experience a glimpse of the eternal cosmic renewal in our lives, that internal part, by having God dwell within us today through the Holy Spirit. Last week was about the external thing. We talked about placemaking, how we can make the world more like how God designed it to be and welcoming of his presence. But today we're going to be talking about the, 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 the terribly important component, which is our own preparedness to experience renewal in our lives and how that comes through the Holy Spirit. And this is extremely fitting to talk about today as it's Pentecost Sunday. 
And on Pentecost Sunday, the Christian church uh, around the world celebrates the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, to indwell those who believe in Jesus. And so I'm going to tell the story uh, that we see throughout Scripture. It's a really fun narrative and story about, uh, about Jesus and him offering us the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit coming to believers. All right, so let's look at some of the scriptures as it talks about this in the story. So, so we see Jesus prior to his death prophesying to his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come uh, to them after he leaves them. And the disciples aren't really clear about what he's talking about, but he says this. He says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. Important word right there, another helper. To be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my father and you in me and I in you. So Jesus is telling them, but imagine the context for these disciples, right? They've been hanging out with Jesus. They might not know the full extent of like who he is in terms of like divine and all that sort of good stuff. And he's like, yeah, so I'm going to go away. I'm going to send something to live in you. That sounds super creepy. And he's like, this, but, 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 but don't worry, because they're incredulous. And they're like, what, uh, what are you talking about? They've been walking around with him. He's been doing these incredible things and miracles and exorcisms and, and, and preaching this incredible, incredible truth about the kingdom of God coming and proving it with the, the power of the kingdom of God coming from him. And they're like, what are you talking about? No, like, why are you leaving us? Why don't you stay here? Aren't you supposed to establish your kingdom? And he's like, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So there's like this qualification of, hey, I have to leave to be able to do the best work to bring the kingdom of God to your life, which sounds completely unintuitive. Wouldn't it be awesome to have Jesus standing here and telling us what to do or how to do it? And to have an example put in front of us, a lot of times I'll hear people say like, well, why couldn't Jesus just be here now? Why did he have to leave? Why did he? Because by his leaving, he's able to be in heaven and to rule with the Father. And then he sends his spirit to us so we can experience something incredible. But we'll get into that later. All right, then Jesus dies, no big deal. Jesus comes back after his resurrection for 40 days before he goes into the heavenly realms. And he goes back to heaven. During those 40 days, this is uh, uh, when he's back after his death with the disciples, this conversation happens. He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. That's Jesus had done this. So through the Holy Spirit, Jesus is acting. He presented himself alive to them, speaking about the kingdom of God. That's what he's speaking to them about, this kingdom thing coming to earth. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, they're asking this question, God, but is the kingdom going to come? Are you going to set up this thing here? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. First of all, interesting point is people who are always like, the kingdom's coming, the end is coming. When the disciples asked Jesus himself if it was coming, he's like, that's not your job to know. That's a good point for all of us to kind of know in some difficult times in our world, is that that's not our job to try and like, predict that stuff. Our job is to simply to be kingdom people operating by the Holy Spirit, doing what God has called us to do and trust that God is affecting his end in his own timing. 
Well, Jesus goes back to heaven after this conversation. No big deal. It's funny to say stuff like that in passing. Yeah, Jesus goes back to heaven. The apostles are waiting for the Holy Spirit together. And this must be like an awkward time, right? Like think, Matt, Jesus has just died. He just comes back from the dead. He's hanging out with him. He's telling them all this stuff. And then like, poof, he's gone. And they're just like, you know, twiddling their like thumbs, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come. And this kind of dead in between space. They're figuring out new apostles to fill the ranks. And, uh, when the, and then we see in Acts 2, this Holy Spirit thing happens. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, the disciples. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. I love that, that physical, visceral presencing of God. There is a, an actual sound of God's presence coming, like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So there's this, and this is written as like actual hist, like historical event. This isn't like poeticizing it. There visually were tongues of fire resting on them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, this thing Jesus promised, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So as, a whole, as, as Jesus had, had prophesied, the Holy Spirit truly came. And these weird things start to happen in the believers. They start to speak in other tongues. In this context, they're literally speaking in other languages, like languages that existed within the world. Now, there were, making, there were a bunch of uh, Jewish people who were making pilgrimage to Jerusalem because of the holiday. And these pilgrims heard this visceral, they, they, they heard God filling up a room, which is a really interesting idea. They heard God filling up a room. They're like, what is this sound that's going on? And then they hear people speaking and they, they all come and, they, and they're like, what's going on with this group of disciples? And all were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. They think that they're drunk, basically. And Peter says, these people aren't drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day. Basically, it's in the morning. Luckily, these were Jewish people who evidently had some decorum for drinking hours. But if you were to be in England at 10 a.m. on a day in which there was a football match, you'd be like, yeah, it's 10 a.m., so what? What do you mean? Like, yeah, we're already drinking. These people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, this inclusive component of the servants and the male and the female. In those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. This incredible event has happened. God's presence has manifest in a unique way within believers that has never occurred in history. And Peter tells these people what is going on and these Jewish people come to faith and we read later in the scripture that 3,000 people are saved that day. And continually the spirit moves in special ways in the early church that leads towards more and more people being added to their ranks. So what we see here in this pretty cool story is that Jesus promised the Holy Spirit, people received the Holy Spirit, and whatever this Holy Spirit thing is, is available to all people today. Now this is not just something of like the ancient past, 
which it can feel like, like this is an actually unbelievable story and you would have to kind of like turn off your minds in order to actually believe that this sort of thing is possibly true. We don't have the time to get into why we're so prone to thinking like that and all that sort of stuff. But let me just say this is that within our, like specifically like in this context in like East Coast of America, like Western world in general, is that we, we, we automatically have this conception of something outside of the physical happening as impossible. Because we have like a a materialist worldview or a physicalist worldview where everything is just physical material stuff. But if you were to actually, and and I'm sure that that many of you have, but if uh, for those of us who maybe haven't thought about this that much and have an immediate reaction to this idea of something crazy like this happening, is that throughout the rest of the world, if you engage with other global cultures and what's happening, is that people are still experiencing this kind of stuff today in so many contexts. In so many contexts. And so at least if your mind's turned off to it, I encourage you to maybe not to be at least open to it and realize that in a lot of contexts, this kind of stuff is still happening today. And this kind of stuff still happens here in many respects. You might not know about it. You might know about it. But this stuff still happens within the world. This is not something of the ancient past or of the early disciples. This is something that God has promised us will exist today in our world. And so what is happening with this Holy Spirit thing? There's a whole bunch But in this context of cosmic renewal, I want to emphasize a couple of of points of what the Holy Spirit does. When you receive the Holy Spirit, you experience a glimpse of eternity. You are experiencing a glimpse of how things will be when heaven is on earth. You experience eternity today. You experience the future now. Look at Hebrews uh, 6, which says, For it is impossible. This is after Jesus' book, written after uh, the Holy Spirit has come, etc. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, this is a gift from heaven, have shared in the Holy Spirit, have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. And then he continues to talk, not worth uh, uh, talking about too much, but of the people staying in the faith. Basically, when you experience this heavenly gift of the Holy Spirit, you, you see the future orientation of, of the language and the heavenly orientation of the language. It is from heaven, the spiritual domain in which God rules, and it is of a power of the age to come. There's something about the age to come that is reaching back and impacting us in the age of today with the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, another book that is a letter that is written after the Holy Spirit has come. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves have the first fruits of the Spirit groaning inwardly as we Wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, for in this hope we were saved. There's this interesting idea of first fruits. When you have the first fruits, you're grabbing something, experiencing something of a future harvest that will come to pass. Does that make sense? You have this heavenly future concept, this ages to come, but we get the first fruits of that today through the Holy Spirit. Craig Keener says, God God has advanced us part of our inheritance now. For all those who are in Jesus, our inheritance is this eternal full life with God, cosmic renewal, heaven and earth. But God has advanced us part of the inheritance now. Some people talk about it as a down payment. You put the money down first, the person gets the money. It's a promise of the money to come. God has advanced us part of our inheritance now so we can experience the life of the spirit, eternal life in the present age. 
Some promises await Jesus' return. Some promises await Jesus' return. But God's presence and power in our lives right now should enable us to live as heaven's people on earth. Each of us, when, when we think about what's the, your wildest dreams about what heaven might be, heaven on earth might be, Think about the renewal that you imagine in your mind. Think about maybe the brokenness of your physical body. Maybe you're suffering with physical ailments. I have had terrible asthma this past week, and I get it about twice a year, and it's crippling. And my allergies were so bad yesterday, my entire left eye was swollen shut. Stink, stuff stinks like that in the world, right? That's about the most minor of things that can go wrong in life. And it's like you, we, we experience that stuff every day, and then times infinity in terms of qualitatively worse things with like death and brokenness and evil and injustice and systems and powers in the world that are oppressive and all these broken things. And imagine what's the most incredible thing that you can imagine in your mind about what eternity might be like and realize that today, if you have the Holy Spirit, you have a glimpse of new creation. You can experience new create. You can experience heaven today when you receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not just an attachment, it's not just an addition to the story, it's not just something you have right now, it's not just this dislocated idea that helps you to get things when you pray, or though there are important parts about what the Holy Spirit does when we pray, but the Holy Spirit is heaven on earth within us. So if you have the Spirit of God in you, you should expect to experience Spirit of God, heaven on earth kinds of crazy things. And I think expectation is a very important word here because if we actively live with a, and, and I'm like the classic personality to do this and do this in a lot of my life. So like, you know, I'm speaking to myself up, up, up here, you know, 100% of the time basically. We're like, I, I, you naturally instinctively don't expect to experience these kinds of things. You have a skepticism within you. Well, it's really, really hard. Like, let's say, for instance, like a, a marriage analogy. Like, if you, if you think that your spouse is always going to be doing something bad to you and they're actually doing something good to you, you're never going to think that the thing that they're doing that is good to you is actually, you're never actually going to receive the goodness of it, right? And this could be with friendships or any kind of relationships, really anything in life. If you always have an expectation of the negative or something not coming to pass, then it really rarely does or manifests within you. And there is this kind of thing with the Holy Spirit to where if we are so automatically closed off to God affecting heaven on earth, special moments in our lives today, then we are very prone to not actually experiencing those things in our life. Now, God can work in like any sort of context and break through our broken, messed upness. I've experienced that really powerful moments in my life, and I'm sure a lot of you have as well. But in terms of as a general principle by which we operate is it should be one of expectation of reading scripture and seeing these incredible things happen. And we'll talk about more of these things. But seeing these incredible things happen and go, well, God, I have that same spirit within me. Let me, what does it look like if I'm open to having something crazy that kind of like knocks my schedule off for the day or makes me do something different than I, than I normally would. We have to live with this expectation that God is bringing transformation to our life within us. So I think that we can, as I alluded to earlier, we can think of the Holy Spirit as this sort of, uh, as this sort of like added, um, this puts it very crassly, but like added magic trick that we kind of have. 
It's like, okay, here's this other thing you get. Like, I am all of what I am, like, like spirit, soul, body, of all these different terminologies of like, like theological anthropology, all the different stuff that we are. And you almost get like this other thing that you can tap into that you have. Does that make sense? It's like, okay, I need to, um, I need to uh, like pray for something right now or I need this thing. It's like, then you go and tap into the Holy Spirit. Then you have the rest of the stuff that you use throughout your day. You use your mind, you use your intellect. I think, um, like, I think that how we can think of, of the Holy Spirit is it's like another app on your phone. It's like, all right, well, now I need my directions, so I go to Maps, you know? And then I need my, uh, you know, my, like, my texting, my conversation, and I go to my texting and conversation, and then I need my, and then, you know, I go all the way to the end of my messages, and you have the last thing that's loaded, and then you go to the Holy Spirit, because you need the Holy Spirit for that thing. The Holy Spirit is not like an added thing to what we are. The Holy Spirit is like getting an entirely new operating system. Every single app is supposed to operate through the Holy Spirit. As I've, I've heard it put before, it's like, it's like moving from an entirely new energy source. It's like going from like steamboats to coal-powered boats. Or like, you know... I don't know, gas cars to Tesla or something like that. You are all Teslas in the Holy Spirit. That'll get a lot of people to come to church. You can get your own Tesla. No, I'm just kidding. Wrong church for that. Sometimes we can use extremely misleading language when we talk about God saving our souls or the Holy Spirit saving our soul or something like this. Because you are... You are um, you are more than just what your soul is. You are a lot of different things. Your body, your, all this kind of stuff. God is not just saving your soul, one of the apps on your phone kind of thing. God is saving and transforming absolutely all of you. Which is a really important distinction. Because we often think of the soul going to heaven. That's the vision of renewal. But when we remember that we're going to live as embodied creatures in a physical world that has the spiritual dimension residing with it, then guess what also matters? Your body matters. You're going to have an intellect eternally. Your intellect matters. And if anything, that's what a lot of the world and the church sometimes can even seem to teach, is that your intellect doesn't matter, you put that on the side. Right? Or maybe your feelings don't matter. This is how you should think about it. And then you put like, your, your, how your feelings operate on the side. Or your will. It's like, well, it's just God's will, so then I have to shut off my will. And it's, you put your will on the side. Whatever. I think we all have different things that we might put on the side. And if you're watching online in the chat, put in maybe something that like a part of you that you think isn't welcome into the kingdom of God kind of thing. Something that you are. And think about what those are for you. Is that God, God cares about all of what you are. Because you are a broken version of what you should be, but God wants to take and renew all of what you are and make it something new and better. So we do not put aside what we are. We offer all of what we are to the spirit to say, God, transform all of me. Why God uh, affects healings throughout scripture, why the Holy Spirit, one of the ways in which we see heaven on earth is through maybe physical healing sometimes, is because God cares about our bodies, why God renews people's minds or like hopefully uses people to think about things and to develop thought about things to help people come to faith or understand it better because God cares about that part of us. It is a cosmic renewal. It's not a soul renewal. 
The Holy Spirit is supposed to take over all of us. As N.T. Wright says, Paul envisages the whole human as being open to God, not the human with one part, soul, available to divine influence or transformation. God's not just transforming your soul. He's transforming all of you. Heaven is coming to all of creation. All of the things that you were doing matters. And we see the kind of transformation specifically that scripture talks about that I think indicates kind of the breadth of what's supposed to happen. We see the primary sign of the Holy Spirit manifesting in the world is through the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. God cares about how you think and feel and process things. And note that this is the fruit of the Spirit. The spiritual gifts, some of you might be familiar with, we'll talk about in a moment, are not the fruit of the Spirit. That's not the primary sign that the Spirit is present. The primary sign of the Spirit being present in your life is you becoming loving, joyful, peaceful, forbearing, kind, good, faithful, gentle, and having self-control. That's the primary sign of the Holy Spirit. There's also things called spiritual gifts where God wants to transform what you do. And you have things that happen like prophecy, people predicting the future in some kind of way, to put it simply, or in some context, speaking and encouraging uh, uh, truths to people. Um, You also have things like healing that can happen or speaking in tongues or some kind of heavenly sort of thing, or it could be tongues of other languages like we saw in in Acts earlier. There are these things that are supernatural in this kind of way and unnatural to how we normally experience the physical world that God is affecting and doing so that transformation can occur. But then also, in terms of the breadth of God wanting to transform what you do, is you also have these these spiritual gifts like teaching and worship leading, Uh, financial generosity, speaking wisely. These things seem natural, right? So a lot of times what we'll talk about, and and we might still use this as we continue to talk about this thing, but just so take this nuance here, is that we talk about natural gifts and spiritual gifts. Has anyone ever heard that before? Who's been like the church before? You have natural and spiritual gifts. Um, Spiritual gifts are the weird things and the natural gifts are the normal things. Just think about it like that. Is that there's no biblical distinction between the two. That's, Paul does not talk about here are the natural things and then here, what God says is that he's going to spiritually uh, uh, bring like heaven, if you will, into all of those things so that you're, you can be supernaturally empowered if you're a teacher in a school. I can be supernaturally empowered by God by doing what I'm doing right now. When you're speaking wisely to someone, you can be supernaturally empowered. Those are, we think about that as natural. Paul did not have this conception of supernatural, natural. He had a conception of a space in which all those things were supposed to be together, doing these things together. There's supposed to be this cosmic renewal. So all of what you are, you can experience these crazy, unusual new things you've never experienced before, like speaking in these weird languages sort of stuff. And to, and to be careful about how we do that, to experience healing. One of the biblical things is exorcisms. We're talking about a lot of weird stuff today, walking dead and exorcisms. Those things should go together for sure. There's those kinds of things that can happen. But every single, everyday life, like when you're doing your job and your vocation, the things that you're passionate about, the things that you're skilled about, God wants to be in those things, transforming them with his Holy Spirit. None of your life escapes the Holy Spirit. Now, since we can have the Holy Spirit, our bodies are talked about as temples. See, temples are the places where God resides. That's what that word represents. And so Eden was a temple 
And we can't get into like how it's the case because it doesn't say it's a temple, but it's really clear that that's what the, what the authors were indicating. Eden was a temple. God's presence was there. He, he dwelt there. Dwelt is, so we, when we talk about the Holy Spirit dwelling within us, dwelt is specifically within that context that is temple language. That comes from the temple. Eden was a temple. The Old Testament temple is where God resides in that special kind of space. And we're told that the new heaven and earth and that, that will take place in the future will be like a temple, which we read in Revelation. The, 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 the whole realm will be we're basically going to live in a quote-unquote temple because that's where God's presence resides. So God resides in the temple, but now God resides in us, therefore we are a temple. What I would like to offer us is that if our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit, then we must treat our bodies like temples of the Holy Spirit. Temples are holy places to be treated carefully. Temples are holy spaces which are dwelt in by the presence of the very eternal God. When we see God dwell in spaces in, in scripture, there's something special, sacred about those spaces. In Eden, we read about the beauty of Eden, the goodness of the creation, the specialness of God walking with, dwelling with his people. In the Old Testament temple, it is lavishly, lavishly furnished and made beautiful and kept meticulously by the high priests so that it can remain the kind of space that God will continue to operate in. And if, we, if, if they didn't approach the temple in the right kind of way, they could die or be blinded because the presence of God is so powerful and holy. We would expect the spaces that God resides in to be kept beautifully and carefully according to the kinds of spaces and places that God wants to reside in. You have the opportunity to have God dwell in you. How are you preparing or keeping your dwelling place for the glorious and holy presence of God? How are you treating the dwelling place of God if that is yourself and who you are? And this is why so many instances in, in, in scripture are concerned with things like holiness and sin. That's because God doesn't dwell with darkness. So oftentimes we think of holiness and sin. Again, think about how we typically think about heaven in our world. You go do like a good enough things, you believe in Jesus, and then you don't mess up too much, and then you go to heaven, right? That's, that's the purpose of like holiness and sin and all that kind of stuff, right? Just be good enough, I'll get in at the end of time. Let me in the gate, please. I might be in the back of the line, but just let me in. I just passed, you know, the test. No, the, 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 there's a purpose to us following how God tells us to live our lives and to be holy. And it's because God wants to dwell within you. And God dwells within holy spaces. He operates in all of his power, in the fullness of his power, within holy and special places. And this is why we see these kind of like difficult and sometimes what feels like dark scriptures, uh, difficult scriptures maybe, challenging scriptures that, that kind of like stab at us a little bit. We see in 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 20, flee from sexual immorality. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you? 
whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Second Corinthians, for we are the temple of the living God. Therefore, touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us clean ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. These are hard challenges. We might wanna shy away from them because it sounds like, well, but, but Jesus saves us from our, from our work or our striving or our, what, what, what's beautiful about this, because like, think about it like this. Imagine that you have the capacity to welcome, like who's like your greatest idol? I don't mean that in a sinful way, though it might be sinful, but like who's like someone that you really look up to? Right, like I don't know, there's some president or like political figure or some athlete or musician, or maybe it's someone that you know that you really respect really well. And that person is saying, hey, um, I wanna come over and have dinner at your house tomorrow. Like, what are you going to do? I'm paying $1,000 for a cleaning service to come to my house. And I'm going to follow them around with like another little vacuum. And I'm going to like make everything incredibly clean, comfortable, hospitable, welcoming. Because you want to make a space that is worthy of that person to be within, right? If you would do that for something so simple as another person coming to your house weight of God himself saying, do you know how you clean up your space, your temple? Flee from sexual immorality. Be loving. Be forbearing. Be kind. Be gentle. Be the kind of person that is representative of the kind of cosmic renewal that I want to have in the future. Imagine what heaven on earth is going to be like. Be that right now as best you can. That's the kind of space that I live in and I do incredible things in. Now, what's awesome about this, it's different from the analogy I just gave of welcoming someone in, is that you do not have to have a clean house for God to come and dwell in it. You don't have to do those things first. That's where it's not like some works thing, like shoot, I need to get my stuff in order before I, read the Holy, before I receive the Holy Spirit. No, the Holy Spirit is knocking on the door saying, I don't care what it looks like inside. Just ask me and I'll come in. And then guess what? Work with me and we'll clean it all up. Work with me and it's the spirit that empowers us to become that beautiful sacred space, to become an Eden, a walking Eden, to become a walking temple, to, be, temple, to become a walking microcosm of eternal new creation. That's what God wants to do with you. And what happened here in the scriptures with, with these people of God is they received the Holy Spirit and they started to trash the temple, right? It's like that person who you love started to dwell in the house. They came to the house and they wanted to stay for a while. And then you start seeing that that person doesn't really matter that much. You know, like this person isn't super important anymore. My wife always gets mad at me. If you follow her Instagram, you'll see this, but I'm sure all of you are following my wife's Instagram because it's a very important thing. No. Uh, she takes pictures of Tabasco bottles that I always leave out because I love Tabasco. And like, I, I, I'm bad. I'm bad with keeping a house clean, right? And like, I probably imagine like when we first got married, I think I was a little bit more careful, you know? And then you get used to it and then you start to kind of let the house go. God's cool with the house being messy, right? God works with that stuff. But when God is saying like, hey, I'm dwelling within you, I want to do stuff within you, then you keep stuff nice. You keep things in their place. You try your best. God can work with it getting messy, okay? So I'm not saying that. But if you want God, I think, I think it's fair to say that if you want God to operate more and more in your life, 
then make yourself more like the temple. Make yourself more like what God's just asking you to be like. Not so you can just go into heaven. It's because God wants to renew you today and eternally. He wants to do incredible things through you and in you and with you. And he's asking you today to say, if you haven't let him in yet, he's saying, put your faith in Jesus and his death and resurrection on the cross. Repent from your sins, turn to him and say, God, I wanna become the kind of thing that you have for me. I want to be a microcosm of new creation of heaven on earth and he'll dwell in us and do incredible things. Maybe you've received the spirit and it's like, I need to do a little cleaning up. I felt super convicted writing this this week and studying this. There's stuff I need to clean up in my life. There's stuff that all of us need to clean up in our life. To say, God, but, it, but it's, not, it's not this dour, like, oh no, I have to do this for God. No, God's saying, let me work with you and I'll clean it up with you. Let's do this together because we have something so fun and good and exciting to do together. That's why we follow the rules, you know what I mean? That's why we follow the commands that God gives us because he has something incredible for you.